Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture, all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Well, hi, everybody. I'm Israel Wayne. And I'm Brooke Wayne. We want to talk with you today about a very important topic, and that is overcoming angry and stressed out parenting. This is a topic that we believe is relevant to all families. In fact, it's relevant to all people. If you are a human, you experience the uh, frustration and stress that comes along with living life here on the planet. And particularly if you have to interact with other people, you get lots of opportunities to practice patience. Uh, This particular topic, though, is going to be dealing with the issue of parenting, because if you are a parent, you especially have lots and lots of opportunities to be tested as it relates to stress and anger. That's so true. And so we want to start by looking at and examining what exactly is anger. Well, there's several things that I want us to consider. First of all, I want to look at the issue of anger in terms of it being a continuum. And I think sometimes we um, think of anger as being uh, maybe the worst extreme, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Like, sure. like, let me just kind of outline how I think of it, in my mind at least, in terms of a spectrum. Um, you have very mild forms of anger, which could be even things like annoyance, mm-hmm. uh, or words like frustration, uh, or there's uh, words like... Um, irritation. S- irritation. Uh, of course, anger, and then you finally have words like wrath or rage, you know, that would express the uh, emotion of anger. And so when you think of rage, for the most part, you would think for the Christian, for example, well, that probably shouldn't be any part of the Christian's life. A Christian shouldn't be defined by or uh, consumed by rage. That would be bad or wrath or something like that. Uh, but annoyance, like we don't tend to think of that in some ways as being part of the anger spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we want to do is we want to kind of talk about how anger really is a continuum and how uh, we want to make sure that in this entire spectrum of anger that we're not giving in to sin. So I guess that's the first thing I want to say when we talk about what is anger is I would say anger is a spectrum. It's not just one level it's uh you could think of it perhaps like an oven there's various uh degrees of temperature within the oven the second thing i guess i would say about anger besides it being a spectrum or part of a continuum is that anger is first an impulse before it ever becomes an emotion I think sometimes we think of anger as being an emotion but i i think there's something that is far more reactive initially, mm-hmm. uh, when it relates to anger. And this really uh, comes down to something that God has instilled in each one of us that is part of our uh, adrenal system. And uh, we call this our fight or flight mechanism. And when we are threatened, when our physical person is threatened in some way, we have a rush of adrenaline. 
And that adrenaline can create uh, a reaction or an instinct uh, that usually will be fear initially, followed by uh, anger in some cases. So, uh, for example, um, if we're walking down the street and we see a Rottweiler come running around the corner of a building and we see him dragging a six-foot leash behind him and he has uh, every look on his face, the look on his face that says that he is going to do us bodily harm, then uh, we feel this rush of adrenaline and that adrenaline is there to protect us. It's there to save our life. And so we have this fight or flight reaction where we either are going to stand our ground and defend ourselves against this attacker or we're going to turn around and run as fast as we possibly can to get away from this thing that's seeking to destroy our life. And that instinct, I believe, is God-given. I believe it's there for uh, our defense, it's there for our safety, it's there to keep us alive. What happens, though, is that sometimes that instinct or that initial um, adrenaline rush uh, can, can then develop into something more complex, something a little bit more developed, if you will, uh, that is an emotion. So, for example, let's say that I'm at work and I'm working on a big project on my computer uh, and I have a report that has to be in by Friday. If something happens and I accidentally hit the delete key, all of a sudden I have that same adrenaline rush that runs through my system uh, because all of a sudden I realize my my person is being threatened. Now, maybe not in the same way as the, the Rottweiler, but in a way it is. Um, this is my livelihood. So in a way it is my life, right, that's being threatened. And so I may feel that same kind of emotion, that same kind of r- rush, I would say an instinct, uh, a feeling, before it becomes a, a complex emotion. But what will happen is that that, that Im- initial feeling or instinct, I make decisions about that. And I start to think about it and develop it. And, uh, and, and that's where all of a sudden I may decide to uh, grab my computer and throw it out the window. <laughs> uh, or, you know, as, as in the case with um, a child who spills a gallon of milk all over the floor, we think about the cost of the milk. We begin to think about the work that went into earning the money to buy the milk. We think about the time that we invested going to the store Selecting the milk, getting it in the cart, Not going through mention, the register, cleaning it all up. Absolutely, and, and the fact that now we have to take an, another whatever. trip back to the store and to get more milk and all of that, and so it starts to develop into something far more than just the adrenaline rush. The adrenaline rush might be there instantly, the fight or flight mechanism of <gasps> you see the gallon of milk starting to fall and you feel panicked, and but but then it starts to develop into this more complex emotion. And I think it's that crossing over from the initial reaction, uh, or if I can call it this, instinct of anger, into the the more thought out and premeditated aspect of an emotion of anger. I think that's where it starts to get dangerous. Hmm. And very often that's the area where we're likely to cross over into the realm of sin as it relates to anger. 
Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the first way you were describing it with the annoyance and irritation leading up to, you know, harsh words like rage and wrath, that that first range kind of sounds almost like something that was done to me. Um, someone annoyed me. Someone irritated me. And the others seem more like a choice of something ugly coming out of you. So I kind of, I'm following with what you're saying. But it makes me question, okay, at what point then is this wrong? Or is it wrong? Is it wrong to be angry? Uh, you know, God himself says at different points through scripture that he was angry. Um, is it right for us to be angry? Is there a righteous indignation? Well, that certainly is the argument that I think almost uh, every parent who struggles with anger will use to defend their right to be angry. That they'll say, well, I have a righteous anger or I have a righteous indignation. And we do see that God expresses anger. So I think we have to be very careful that we don't say that anger in and of itself, the feeling of anger, uh, is sinful. But I will say that when we look through the Scripture, we find many passages in the Scripture that warn us against anger. There's a lot of them in the Proverbs. There's quite a few in the New Testament. And in these passages, we are told about the dangers of anger. So for the most part, in the Bible, we are told to simply avoid anger, to stay away from it, to not get angry. But there are a couple of passages in the Bible that seem to give an allowance for the Christian to get angry. But I want to look at those because in both of these major passages that people will point to related to anger, um, it does seem to give an allowance for anger, but then very shortly after that, in the same passage, it also warns us against anger. For example, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, Be angry and do not sin. So, there seems to be an assumption there that it's okay to get angry. In fact, in this the ESV here, which I'm reading from, it seems to be a command. Be angry, but don't sin. So some people say, well, it's okay to get angry as long as you don't sin. Um, and, and I'm going to go with that. I mean, it seems like that's what the scripture says. Then it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Verse 27. So I think it's very clear here that closely associated with anger, there's a warning label here. And it's telling us that it's very possible for us to give the enemy of our souls a foothold when we get into this uh, mode of anger. But then, if we go down just a few more verses to verse 31, same passage, it says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So again, we see the continuum. Yeah, We're seeing wrath here and anger, clamor, of course, being part of anger, malice being part of anger. Um, bitterness certainly can be tied in with anger. Sure. And verse 31 says, let all of this, all anger be put away from you. Get rid of all of it. So, you know, we're being told up here in verse 26, be angry and don't sin. But in verse 31, very shortly after that, saying, get, just get rid of all of it. Hmm. And so I think it's important for us to remember that you brought up the question of God. Does God get angry? Yes, but you know, one thing we have to remember about God is God is infinitely holy. 
And we, uh, while we're being conformed into the image of Christ, we're not infinitely holy. Uh, We're not holy in the way that God is. We are uh, in the process of sanctification. Um, We are new creatures in Christ if we belong to him. Um, But we also battle with this flesh. And uh, so we are susceptible to sin. We have to, to battle against it while we live in this flesh. And so... God, it seems, in his infinite holiness, is able to handle this topic of anger, this emotion of anger, if you will. Um, We don't seem to be able to do as good a job with that. And uh, it's kind of like the illustration, I suppose, of a fire. That a, a fire is a wonderful slave, if you will, but it's a terrible master. And if you have a fire contained inside a wood stove, um, there can be a lot of value. It can put off heat for your entire house. But if you don't have that fire contained, if it gets outside of the stove, you are at risk of burning your entire house down and possibly losing your own life and the life of those that you love. So this concept of fire, I think, is a really good illustration when we talk about anger um, because... Uh, Is fire good? Is it useful? Yes, I think it is, but only within the confines of what the Bible allows anger for. And then in verse 32, it sort of gives the antidote to this anger issue, and it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's the posture that we should have. Uh, in our hearts as it relates to other people. So that one passage where the Bible tells us to be angry but don't sin, it also says, put away all anger from you. Well, let's look at another one that's uh, commonly referred to as a kind of defense for the emotion of anger within the life of the the Christian. Um, And it says this uh, in verse... 19 of James chapter 1. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So in 19 it says that we should be slow to anger. So if we're told that we can be slow to it, then that means it's okay. It just means we shouldn't get there quickly. And so slow burn. Yeah, so it seems like this is a a strong indication that anger is okay for the Christian. But then look at what it says in the next verse. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Wow. Period. So this, of course, uh, for you and I, Brooke, this has been a big key verse for us, almost a life verse in a way as it relates to our parenting. Because our goal as Christian parents is we want the righteousness of God to come forth in our children's life. Mm Mm-hmm. And we want that righteousness to come forth so badly that sometimes we're willing to use any kind of uh, method sure. to make sure that it happens. Yep. And it's so important to us that sometimes um, we resort to using the wrong kinds of tools, the wrong methods to get there. And And that doesn't work for us as Christian parents because God is not merely interested in the end result, but he's infinitely interested in the process. Mm 
He's not just interested in the ends, but he is infinitely interested in the means as well, the methodology that we use. And he promises us, he tells us here, that the anger of man, it will not produce the righteousness of God. It will not get us where we want to go. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like the illustration I use sometimes of, of being on a train and you're wanting to go north and you find out that this train is headed south. Well, if you want to go north, um, running in a northerly direction on a southbound train will never get mm-hmm. you north. The only way that you get north is you have to get off the train. And you have to get on a train that's going north. And so that's how this anger problem can be, that we feel like, well, I'm just going to try to apply my anger more appropriately. And this passage seems to be very definitive, that our anger simply will not produce the righteousness of God. Right, right. And... I, I know for myself and for so many Christian parents I've talked to, like you mentioned, they're just trying so hard to pass on good values. They're trying to pass on good character. They're, they're just trying to even have some plain old-fashioned obedience from their children. They want so bad to see these right things, these good things instilled, that they will um, employ anger just to get it to get there. And... Um, it's just bringing about devastating results, especially in the long term. I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit as far as what anger does, you know, in a long-term relationship um, over the long haul, especially as these kids grow to maturity. Well, we've seen a lot of adult young people who have been raised in Christian homes with Christian parents, and they get in their early 20s, and all of a sudden, they don't, not all of a sudden, but it seems like for people on the outside, it seems like all of a sudden they don't want to have anything to do with their mom and dad. And some of these young people, when we've talked to them and we've asked them a little bit about their stories and their motivations, a lot of them basically express that their parents were constantly frustrated, constantly angry at them, and they just felt that their parents really didn't like them. And one of the things that we've seen is that sometimes there are well-meaning parents who we believe really do love their children, mm-hmm. um, but they express it in all the wrong ways. Uh, they don't give proper verbal affirmation to their children, and they don't indicate through nonverbal uh, communication that they love their children, and, and more importantly, I think that they like their children. Right. And it's so important for us that we communicate to our children not only that we love them, but that we like them, that they are the delight of our heart, that we enjoy them, that we appreciate them, that we value them, that they're a treasure to us. Those are things that we want to communicate through our words, but also through our facial expressions, through our body language, through our posture, through all the many nonverbal ways that we communicate, tone of voice uh, as well. And that's hard to do. I mean, the busyness of life seems to just overtake so many parents. And it's so important to be, to be intentional. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things uh, that I want to go back to, um, just kind of looking at the roots of anger, is um, James said this in his uh, epistle. He said, where do quarrels come from? Where do fights come from among you? He said, they come from desires within you. You want something, you can't have it, 
And so you fight, you covet, and then you, you kill. Uh, and so he puts this issue of conflict uh, beginning with the origin of desire. You want something and you're not getting it. And I'd like to use a different word here that I think might help us to connect with this idea, maybe give us a different handle to pick up this concept. I want to use the word expectations. And we we all bring them into relationships, whether it's a marriage relationship or a parenting relationship or any other kind of relationship. We have expectations that we want to have filled of of how life is supposed to go. And this is very tied into um, our sense of justice, our sense of equality, our sense of the way the world is supposed to work. Um, we believe that things should go a certain way. And when that doesn't happen, we feel threatened. And just like I talked about earlier with that fight-or-flight mechanism, um, sometimes our inside person gets threatened. It's not our physical body that's being threatened, but it's our inside person. And so our values, Mm -hmm. the things that we cherish, the things we treasure, that we hold dear, they're us. And we can't separate ourselves easily from those things. We can't divorce ourselves uh, from the things that we feel, that we believe, um, our convictions, if you will. And so when we are threatened in terms of our beliefs and values and convictions or, or our uh, deeply held expectations of the way we want life to be, um, it raises that adrenaline. So let me just give you an example. Let's say that you're a mom and you have an expectation that your children should be respectful. It's a, it's a virtue that you hold dear, that people should honor each other, that they should respect each other, they should treat each other with courtesy. And let's say that your children don't treat each other with courtesy. They're rude to each other, they yell at each other, they bicker and fight and quarrel and have sibling rivalry. Uh, or you are trying to teach and instruct them and they backtalk you. Well, that adrenaline can be instantly elevated and escalated because there's this expectation that you have. You want something, you desire something, and you see that it's not happening, particularly in the life of your child. And this is important to you. You want to see that come to fruition, and it's not. That can be extremely frustrating for a parent. One of the other Bible verses that comes to mind is the one that talks about not, um, you know, fathers. It directs it right to fathers and says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Ephesians 6.4. Right, Ephesians 6.4. And it then starts saying, here's what you should do. But, I mean, what's the significance of that? You know, as we're discussing anger and how it relates to raising children, what's the significance of raising them in the nurtured admonition of the Lord? And how do you not provoke your children to wrath when uh, they seem to want to provoke you? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the words that's used there for nurture is the Greek word nuthesia. It's the word for which, from which we get nuthetic counseling. And uh, one of the concepts that is included in, in that nuthesia word is the idea of, uh, of counseling uh, or teaching, or exhorting, but also comforting. Mm. Um, it's it's counseling and teaching and exhorting, but it's also comforting. It's the 
uh, concept of drawing near, drawing your child near to yourself and embracing them mm. as, as a father would his child. So you're teaching them, but you're also bringing them near and holding them close and embracing them. And that's embedded in that word, that concept of nuthesia. And so as parents, uh, again, we're trying to get the righteousness of Christ inside of them. But we need to be careful that we're not using the methodology of our own anger. And so this is what I see. I see that when we have this expectation, we want our children to behave a certain way, for example, and they don't. That can reflect poorly on us. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Because we look at our children, and our children are a reflection of our parenting. Right. And so if our children are badly behaved... It's embarrassing. Then it can be embarrassing to us because it speaks, it can speak to other people, uh, fairly or unfairly, that we're bad parents and we don't want people to think that we're bad parents. And so we get this escalated sense of uh, the adrenaline rush, if you will, this instinct of anger that can develop into an emotion of anger. We want something. We want an outcome. We want a behavior and we're not getting it. And so... It's like James says, we Hmm. get frustrated. It's because of the desire, right? It's because of the desire. We want this. You know, there's a passage in the Proverbs that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. We want something. We're not getting it. We get frustrated. And what we try to do is we try then to bring force to bear uh, on this child to make them do the thing that we want them to do. Here's the danger with that, though. Uh, and, And I need to be careful here because... Um, we're not advocates of permissive parenting. Um, We do believe in discipline. We think that's really important. Um, But the question that I think is relevant here is, what is the purpose of the correction and the discipline? Is it redemptive for the good of the child, or is it retribution? Mm -hmm. And is it really for the benefit of the parent. Like get something off of the parent's chest. Like, yeah, you frustrated me. Mm-hmm. You've angered me. You had this coming to you. You've embarrassed me. You've inconvenienced me. And I'm going to punish you and take out my anger and frustration on you. That's just wrong. That is wrong. That's something that if that's how we have disciplined our children, we need to repent for that. Um, the goal of parenting is not punishing. It is not punishing our children. That is not why we discipline our children. We don't discipline them to punish them. We discipline them to teach them. We want them to learn. And any discipline that is not redemptive, that is not for the good of the child, for their sake, that's for our sake to make us feel better in Mm -hmm. some way, uh, is wrong. It's sinful. And uh, we need to repent of that and turn from that. There's so much of all of this that we could talk about, um, and we're going to need to wrap up here in a few minutes, but uh, you and I, Brooke, have just written a book on this that we believe is really important, and it deals with what the Scripture teaches about this, but it also gives a lot of practical advice and counsel for parents on how to deal with this anger issue, and particularly for those who have been in a habitual lifestyle pattern of anger, how to come out of that. Why don't you tell our listeners a bit about that book? Well, we just completed this book, and um, the name is Pitching a Fit, 
(laughs) overcoming angry and stressed out parenting. And we're just looking forward to being able to share it because, like Israel mentioned, this is kind of life lessons we've learned along the way. We have nine children. Yeah, we have nine children. And so, you know, there's plenty of opportunity for us to uh, lay aside how we feel, just to lay aside that feeling of I want to punish the child when they do wrong, when they've embarrassed me and when I'm inconvenienced or irritated and be able to go, okay, you know, this child needs trained, they need taught, but whatever we do to help them needs to be redemptive again. Redemptive for them so that they can grow and they can walk with the Lord. What would you say for you is one of the primary reasons that you wrote Pitching a Fit? I would say it was because I began to realize being angry does not help anything. It usually, you know, you you might even see a couple moments, a couple in the short days. Term. Sometimes, sometimes you see some good behavior because that child's like, oh boy, mom really like, means <gasps> it. Yeah. Mom counted to 10 and, you know, I've got to go do what she said now. But long term, it doesn't help me hold their heart. It didn't help me develop a deeper relationship with them. You know, I sure didn't feel any better or closer to the Lord in this process. Like here, I'm supposed to be partnering with the Lord in his job of raising this child. And so I saw long term, I am going to lose my children because of my angry attitudes. And I had always considered myself a very patient person until I had children. And then it was like, oh my, I was sadly mistaken. (laughs) I am not a patient person. (laughs) Here all this time, I was, you know, felt pretty proud about it. But I began to realize as I had those little children and as they started to grow up and back talk and embarrass me and all these things we've talked about tonight, that... I had to have something of God to pass on to them, and it wasn't going to be coming through anger. So that was my primary reason. I wanted to um, to find a new way of living, especially when it comes to having to talk about those difficult subjects of this child has disobeyed or is going down a bad path. And how how to do that when you're feeling like a volcano is about to explode inside? Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting with the yelling issue. Um, which is one that goes hand-in-hand with anger. Sure. We meet a lot of parents who are just chronic yellers. They just yell at their kids all the time. And one of the things that's ironic about that is that you're actually training your children to not respond to you until you yell. Right. If you're a yelling parent. Because what happens is that the children will not move, they will not engage, they will not obey, until such time as they know that action is about to take place. A, a consequence is about to be exacted that will uh, be inconvenient or uncomfortable to them, something they don't like. And as soon as the consequence is applied, okay, now all of a sudden they're motivated, they're engaged. Right. Now they're going to get up and do what they were told to do. But what some parents do is they will tell their child, uh, okay, Johnny, you need to turn off the video game and take out the garbage. They'll tell them again three minutes later. Only a little louder this time. Johnny, turn off the video game. As this saying that louder the makes all yeah, the difference. they think it's a volume issue. Mm-hmm. And then Johnny the, can't hear. they'll increase the volume again three minutes later. And finally, the fourth, fifth, tenth time, however many times it is that they allow it to go on before there's any action, um, they will 
scream and yell to the point where garage doors fly open all over the neighborhood and dogs start barking. And at that point, the child knows, okay, mom has just hit that pitch Mm -hmm. that she hits right before she takes action. I'd better turn off the video game and go take out the trash. She really means it now. Right. And so that's where parents actually train their children to ignore them mm-hmm. and to disobey them uh, because they don't take action. And what we've learned is you don't have to go through these 10 stages of increasing your volume. You tell your child something, and if they refuse to listen to you, um, immediately they're faced with the consequence. And so what's kind of liberating and freeing about that is that you don't have to become a screaming meanie. Um, You can very calm and in a very purposeful uh, and deliberate way uh, inform the child that whatever predetermined consequence uh, you've set up will be applied. And uh, I've said this a lot in some of our parenting uh, classes that we do, parenting seminars that we do around the country, uh, but also in my other book called Full-Time Parenting, A Guide to Family-Based Discipleship. One of the things I say in full-time parenting is children need clearly defined boundaries. They need clearly defined parameters. They know these are the rules. This is what I can do and what I can't do. Um, And then they need clearly defined consequences for what happens when they cross those boundaries. And then they need absolutely consistent follow-through with the discipline or the administration of those consequences. And if you have that, if you have predictable uh, predictable boundaries predictable consequences and absolutely consistent follow-through on the consequences, you can eliminate this meanie parent thing. Right. It's a, it's a simple formula. Here we are giving you all this free information that's in our book. But, uh, but, but you know, we explain kind of how to walk that out, you know, and, and in our book we give a lot of illustrations, we give a lot of scriptures, um, because th- this is so key and it's so liberating and our goal for Christian parents is that they don't have that experience mm-hmm. of the 23-year-old child who doesn't want to talk with them and doesn't want to have a relationship with them. And, and again, we believe these parents really do love their children, but that they've just implemented the wrong strategies um, because, frankly, you just get into parenting and you, you often are too close to the situation mm-hmm. to really realize sometimes that you're going about it all wrong mm-hmm. and it's just looking looking for ways to go how am i just pulling teeth to get this child to do what they ought to do and going through this huge emotional process where you actually get yourself into a fit so that they'll obey and i think that's something you touched on a little bit where um in our book we talk about yelling and so many families this is the norm it's it's expected. The kids expect it. The parents feel like, hey, this is what everybody else does. And um, we really challenge that in our book, saying, you know, a lot of times, let's just say 90% of the time, parents yell because it's something that makes them feel better. It's not redemptive for the child, but it makes the parent feel better. They have that adrenaline rush that it, with anger and yelling kind of appeases it. They feel peaceful and calm after that yelling match. And so, um, and something we really wanted to challenge in this book. But one thing, one last question I wanted to ask you, Israel, is I hear a lot from parents who say, well, that's fine and good, but I'm, I'm just not a patient person. I, I get angry easily. I'm angry before I even knew 
that I was going to get angry. I just all of a sudden I stop and realize I've been yelling for the last five minutes and I have no way to even perceive or, you know, kind of think about it ahead of time. How do I get out of that? Mm-hmm. How do I change my course? I mean, it's not, it's not going to be easy. These patterns have been in place 10 years or more. Yeah, well, actually, I would say these patterns have been in place from the time we're born. And you find that in Galatians chapter 5, where it talks about the works of the flesh. Interestingly, anger doesn't show up in the column of the fruit of the Spirit. It shows up in the column of the works of the flesh. Mm-hmm. That's what we're born with. You know, this Adamic nature, this fallen nature that we have because of original sin. And so, um, we're born with this. It's, it's our nature to get angry and respond poorly. That's what comes natural to us. Um, the things that are listed in the fruit of the Spirit column in Galatians 5, those aren't natural to our human flesh. Um, those are things that are supernatural. Those are things that only come through the life of Christ being lived out in us. And so love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, those things only come from the life of the Spirit. And Galatians 5 says very clearly that if you walk according to the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Mm. So how do you stop being angry? Learn how to walk in the Spirit. That's your assignment. You will never overcome anger or any other kind of lifestyle habit or addiction by trying really hard to overcome that habit. And maybe you've done that in the past. You've said, okay, I'm not going to get angry anymore. I'm not going to yell anymore. And Monday morning, I'm going to be a perfectly patient person. I will, I will, I will. Yeah, and sometime Monday around, you know, if you start your day Monday at 8 o'clock, by probably about 8.10, Uh, that whole theory is shot, and you're back to being a meanie. The only way you're going to ever break out of that is not by white-knuckling it. It's not by trying harder. It's by learning how to walk in the Spirit. And Jesus talked about the same concept in John chapter 15, where he said, I'm the true vine, you are the branches. If a man abides in me, if he remains in me, he will bear much fruit. The branch does not bear fruit because it tries really, really hard to bear fruit. It bears fruit because it's attached to the vine. And so we bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, when we are abiding in Jesus, when we are connected to him, when his life flows through us. That is how we, and it's the only way that we can bear the fruit of the Spirit fruit in our life is when the Holy Spirit's life is flowing through us. So our assignment is, as counterintuitive as this seems, is not to try to stop being angry. That will never work. You will never overcome anger by trying really hard to stop being angry. You have to learn what it means to walk in the Spirit. And you say, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, that's your assignment. That's what you have to learn how to do. And and we try to talk about that uh, in our book, what that means and what that looks like. We, we're really excited about the fact that we've been able to team up with New Leaf Publishers uh, for this book. Um, it's going to be available everywhere. It's available in print. It's going to be available in uh, ebook, And uh, it's uh, available at our website. Our website is familyrenewal.org. And we'd like to ask you guys to do something special for us, if you would. If you would go to familyrenewal.org forward slash subscribe. 
we would like to have you uh, sign up on our email list so that we can keep in touch with you and, and we can uh, let you know what's going on with us and we can let you know when we're going to be in your area. We're traveling all over the United States, um, speaking at conferences, doing parenting seminars, speaking in churches. We'd love to come to your area, um, but this gives us an opportunity to stay in touch with you. And um, you can also join us on Facebook. We have several Facebook pages. I have a personal page at facebook.com forward slash israel.wayne. My author page is facebook.com forward slash Author, And then our ministry page is forward slash family renewal. And so we encourage you to check us out on Facebook. Um, I'm available on Twitter at Israel Wayne. And uh, again, Family Renewal is our website. We would love to connect with you and, uh, and keep in touch. If you do get a copy of the book, Pitching a Fit, Overcoming Angry and Stressed Out Parenting, we'd like to have you do two things for us, if you would. After you get a chance to read the book, we'd like you to give us some feedback. We would love to hear uh, your thoughts on the book. And uh, one of the best ways to do that is to leave your comments or your thoughts, uh, good or bad, uh, just be honest what you think of the book, but leave the thoughts at Amazon.com and ChristianBook.com. Those are two of the main places that Christian books are sold, and uh, we would love for you to write a review on those websites. And uh, uh, we just are so excited about the fact that God is using His Word to help parents break free from habits and patterns that sometimes they've carried with them from their childhood. Because we do, don't we, Brooke? We, mm-hmm. we carry this from, you know, the way that our parents parented us and probably the way their grandparents parented them, and we just pass it on down the line. Yep. And yet God gives us tremendous hope that we don't have to pass along these futile ways of living that we've inherited from our forefathers or foremothers, as the mm-hmm. case may be. Um, we can live differently. We can experience new life. And so we're grateful for the opportunity to share these things with you. We thank you for listening uh, today and uh, look forward to having you join with us uh, on the next Family Renewal Podcast. Thank you very much. God bless you.